Lords, this week we've got a bonus episode for you on Brutes, Broads, and Bastards. As always, we'll be taking a deep dive into history's most brazen, brutal, and bold characters. For this bonus episode, we'll take a look at the Brute, Hulagu, and his leading role in one of the most infamous and destructive events in world history, the Fall of Baghdad in 1258 CE. The destruction of Baghdad was unprecedented in its brutality and violence, where an estimated one million people were slaughtered, with so many books of knowledge being destroyed that the Tigris River was said to have run black with ink. Hulugu's key role as commander-in-chief in this atrocity would have massive implications, bringing about a violent end to the Abbasid Caliphate and marking the end of the Islamic golden age. To set the stage, we first need to explore who were the Abbasids. The Abbasid Caliphate was the third successor caliphate to the Prophet Muhammad. It was the spiritual and political heart of the Sunni Islamic world. Claiming descent from the Prophet Muhammad's uncle, Abbas, they seized power from the previous rulers, the Umayyads, in 751 CE and moved the capital from Damascus to Baghdad. What followed was a cultural, economic, and scientific flourishing unlike anything the Middle East had seen, now known as the Islamic Golden Age. Trigonometry, algebra, alcohol distillation, fragrance soaps, clinical trials, music therapy, syringes, paper mills, glass production, sugar, coffee, universities, optics, hospitals, were all inventions created during this time. Yet by the 13th century, the Abbasid Caliphate was on the decline, consisting of only holdings in southern Iraq and those surrounding Baghdad. So while still the spiritual head of Islam, the Abbasid Caliphs were now dominated by their overlords, the Seljuk Turks. The nominal Abbasid Caliph, Al-Mustasim, was a lackluster character, indecisive and ignorant of the threat posed by the Mongols who, when the time came, answered calls for surrender with empty threats and set his people on a path to destruction. And while gorging himself on luxuries and sumptuous banquets, the treacherous minister Ibn al-Akami, a 12 Shiite advisor who was unhappy with the Sunni master, began defunding the military and allegedly wrote in secret to the great Khan, informing him of Baghdad's weakness. And so, Caliph al-Mustasim's inability to correctly and shrewdly judge his own ministers would soon ruin him and his people. Now let's turn our attention further east to the Mongols. Following a succession crisis, a new Khan was installed. Monk Khan, grandson to the great Genghis Khan, was an experienced commander and a capable administrator. He was strict, strong-willed, yet tolerant in his approach, who was chosen by the Mongols in 1251 CE to rule as Great Khan. Ambitious to extend influence west, in 1253 Monk nominated his brother Hulagu as commander-in-chief to the largest Mongol force he had assembled, 
150,000 strong. This force featured some of the very best in siege technology, with a thousand teams of experts, as well as traction trebuchets that could lob rocks and thunder crash bombs over 100 meters. It was with this army that in 1255, Hulagu set out and immediately crushed the once feared order of assassins, known as the Nazari Ismailis. With no obstacles to his march on the Abbasid Caliphate, Hulagu issued a message to Baghdad in September 1257, calling for its surrender in the following words. If you wish to spare yourself and your vulnerable family, give heed to my advice with the ear of intelligence. If you do not, you will see what heaven has willed. Caliph al-Mustasim sneered at this demand and retorted, O young man, do you not know that from the east to the Maghreb, all the worshippers of Allah, whether kings or beggars, are slaves to this court of mine? With this callous reply, al-Mustasim added that we are too firm to quake at every passing breeze. It was said that Hulagu roared with laughter upon hearing this reply and said, If eternal heaven is my friend, what do I have to fear from this caliph? With all paths to peace removed, Hulagu immediately set out for Baghdad in November, splitting his forces into three columns to seize the north and south banks of the Tigris and thereby cut off all chances of escape. With a chokehold on the Tigris, Hulagu finally surrounded the city by the 22nd of January, 1258. And this set the stage for the main event. Hulugu gave the order the assault was to begin. Trebuchets hurled giant rocks, blasting chunks off Baghdad's walls, while the city's inhabitants were hammered with a steady stream of arrows and flaming naphtha, a flammable cousin of gasoline. Panic ravaged the streets and quickly engulfed the caliph in terror. He sent envoys, including the city's catholicos, or leader of the Christians, desperate to appeal to Hulagu's Christian wife, Togus. As a staunch Nestorian Christian and beloved wife of the Khan, Togus interceded for the Christians in Baghdad. Soon messages were attached on arrows and shot into the city, promising that all religious leaders, judges, and scholars were to be spared if they stopped fighting. But the Caliph, seized with terror, wavered in indecision, and the city's morale collapsed entirely. Thousands streamed out of the city, hoping for mercy. But without a formal surrender, they were all cut down. When another group of envoys requested amnesty with the Mongols, suddenly an arrow struck one of Hulugu's commanders in the eye, and erupting with rage, Hulagu ordered the envoys all executed and ordered the city to be taken. On the 10th of February, 
the caliph himself finally acted, leading an entourage of 300 officials and his family to formally surrender. Surprisingly, Ulugo greeted him politely, telling the caliph to order all inhabitants to disarm and exit the city. But Ulugo had deceived Al-Mustasim. As soon as the caliph gave the order, those who obeyed and exited the city were slaughtered like sheep. Up to 800,000 men, women, and children. And three days later, the Mongols broke through the city walls and set Baghdad ablaze. Contemporary historian Ibn Kathir wrote that the Mongols went and stormed through the country, killing everyone they were able to, from men, women, and children, old and young, sick and healthy. For an entire week, the army sacked the city until the streets flowed with the blood of the slain. And yet while their world blazed around them, the Christians huddled together in a nearby church under the protection of Hulagu's wife, Tokus. No doubt pleased with his victory, Hulagu chose to cap the conquest with the humiliation of the caliph. Having taken the caliph's octagon palace, Hulagu threw a sumptuous banquet dinner, telling the caliph, You are the host. We are your guests. Bring whatever you have that is suitable for us. Al-Mustasim, shaking with fear, unlocked his treasure rooms, bringing 10,000 dinars cash, jewel-encrusted bowls, chests of gems, which Hulagu then shared with his commanders. Turning to the caliph with a grin, he then said, Tell my servants where your buried treasures are. Now, how he knew of these hidden treasures remains a mystery, although several historians have suggested that it may have been Ibn al-Akawi, the caliph's treacherous advisor, who told Hulagu. A pool full of gold ingots was soon unearthed, accompanied by a harem of 700 beautiful women and 1,000 dutiful servants. Having collected all of this staggering wealth and loot, Hulagu then gave the order to halt all killing and pillaging. With the city still reeling from the stench of the dead and smoldering, Hulugu dealt with his last problem, the Caliph Al-Mustasim. One night soldiers entered the tent, seized the Caliph, and brought him before Hulagu. The Mongol general then had Al-Mustasim the great Mongol tradition of not spilling royal blood, rolled up in a thick carpet and trampled to death by horses, along with his entire family and entourage. Last of all, the caliph's treacherous advisor, Ibn al-Alkami, having been spared during the sacking, was brought before Ulugu, expecting a sizable reward. However, being shrewd and knowing of the man's treachery, Hulagu spoke and said, I do not see anything that you deserve for your cooperation with me, except to kill you in a very bad way. And instead, 
who had Al Alkami hung from his legs and cut to pieces by his soldiers. With the destruction of the Abbasid Caliphate, Hulagu now ruled from Afghanistan to the Persian Gulf and named himself the Il Khan, meaning the obedient ruler, in deference to his brother, the great Khan, Mok. And it would not be until 1260 CE that a band of brave Turkish Mamluks was able to finally turn back the Mongol onslaught at Ain Jalut. Today, the sack of Baghdad is still remembered as one of the greatest atrocities against Islam. The loss of the Abbasid Caliph meant that for the first time in history, the Islamic community, also known as the Ummah, was without a spiritual leader, which only heightened the growing disunity that would form the very religious divisions we still see today. Perhaps just as devastating was the total destruction of the Great House of Wisdom, containing thousands of priceless books of knowledge on everything from medicine to astronomy to mathematics. Who knows how much better our world today would be had these precious works not been destroyed. And the untold suffering and death brought about by the poor policy of one leader seems a very relevant issue today. In the worlds of the Abbasid Caliphate, there were no measures by which citizens could hold their caliph to account. But in our world, we do have these measures in place, and we can exercise them to protect the very values, advances, and treasures we have in our own societies. And to not use them, to not hold our leaders to account for poor policies, we only run the risk of an event like this to happen again. Well, that's the end of the line, Snowbirds. Thanks so much for listening in and supporting Brutes, Broads, and Bastards. Listen, if you're feeling aggressively generous, we do have a Patreon page where you can donate as little as $1 a month and get access to extra content, including more hidden episodes such as these uh, we'll be putting in the future. Please share with your family and friends. And uh, as always, we'd love uh, for you to give a diabolical review on Apple Podcasts, five stars if you like. And each month, uh, as well, I'll be polling Patreon supporters for voting on extra topics. As well, if you've got a story that just needs the Brutes, Broads, and Bastards treatment, please feel free to connect with me through BrutesBroadsBastards at gmail.com or through my Twitter handle, at BruteHistory. All right, as always, guys, make good choices, and we'll see you next week.